also mentioned in your article that it's challenging as a composer to respond to the question, how do you create music? And that you attempt to work backwards when producing music. So explain this process for us when you work backwards in space to connect with the audience as a deeper level. So that's a process that I found over time. Um, I found that if I just kind of sat at the piano or keyboard and try to write a killer melody, that it just didn't come out that way. That, um, and I would struggle with that and I would really beat myself up about it. And uh, a lot of the time, <clears throat> you know, when you're doing some kind of like a TV sports network melody or something like that, that is what is needed. It's, it's a kind of four note motif or something like that. And I, I've always struggled with that because it doesn't come with any background or any sense or any context. So I find that I need to create the context first. And that context in film and television is an emotional one. It's like, what emotion do we want people to feel right now? And then where does it go now? And then where does it go now? And the way to articulate emotion in music, um, you know, in a very solid and obvious way is through the use of harmony. So the chords that you pick uh, very quickly communicate a happiness or a sadness or a melancholy or an, an apprehension or an anticipation, excitement or a fear, a horror. All of these, they're very accessible to a composer to put in as the foundation of whatever is going to come next. So I always start with the harmon the harmonic structure and I work with that for a while. And then what usually happens is it's almost like a puzzle that I put in extra pieces. And then what happens is I start to hear a melody implied, a melody that is not yet there, but needs to be there. And so then I write that melody in and, and that works for me because it has a context now. It's set, it has a harmonic sense, it has an emotional arc by virtue of what's under, underpinning it. And so that's my experience of it. And so, I, you know, I, I'm kind of borrowing this phrase from um, um, Lindsay Buckingham of uh, Fleetwood Mac. He gave a talk at one time and he described his process very much like that. And I was sitting in the audience thinking, oh, thank God I'm not the only one, you know, who writes like that. Um, and he called it coming in through the through the back door, you know, mm -hmm. um, and and that's what works for me. And so. But you also I, mentioned that there's a difference between writing music for film than writing songs and concert music. Why? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when you're writing songs or concert music, I think the assumption is that you can write anything you want. Right. That there's no holes barred. Um, you can write in any style any instrumentation. You can make it as long as you want. Um, you can go anywhere you want. There are no confines and there are no set parameters. And so I like to think of that as kind of composing laterally. You can spread out in any way you want. When you're composing for film or television, firstly, you're composing to serve the vision of the film or the TV show. You are not doing this for yourself. You have to subjugate your ego to the vision of the director, usually. And I always tell young composers, and if you're not comfortable with that, then you're in the wrong business. Go off and write a song. Go and be lateral. So then in film and TV composing, you're basically given extremely stringent parameters. It's almost like having a wall here and a wall here that says 
you have to write this music. It has to be 35 seconds long, exactly to the frame. You can only use these instruments and it has to express as best as possible this set of emotions. And so, you know, when I kind of discuss it with songwriters, they go, excuse my language, fuck that. Uh, you know, I couldn't do that. And for me, I couldn't, you know, if you don't give me something, something to work with. So I express film and TV composing as composing vertically because you've got these constraints. So instead you find the artistic and creative fulfillment and exploration through a kind of vertical movement of like uh, tight parameters, uh, lack of choices is actually very, very fruitful. It's very inspiring to have limits you know it, it i'll give you a, a parallel example in retail okay um one of i think a study was done about people's purchasing habits in pharmacies and they would go in to buy a uh, let's say a cold and flu medicine and at one point in time maybe let's say 30 years ago uh let's say um medicine x there it was cold and flu you would buy it. Now you go in and you have you have this for cold and flu and sore throat. This one is cold and flu and runny nose and this one. And so products have diversified. All of them have diversified so much. This is Advil. This is Advil PM. This is Aleve. This is, you know, that a person goes in there and they don't know what's best. And there's a this is where I got it from. There was a really good TED talk on this. And, the, and what happens to that person is they become unhappy because even with what they buy, they never feel confident that they made the right choice. They walk out of the pharmacy thinking, maybe I should have got this cherry flavored NyQuil instead because it has this in it or something. And so it breeds unhappiness and insecurity. So choices aren't always the right direction for people. And by owning that and saying, diminish the choices and as a creative that sounds like a, a really horrible thing to do to a creative person you know you hear songwriters saying all the time like you know the record company was uh, meddling in what i wanted to do too much and and i don't want to compromise my integrity and stuff as film composers the question of integrity doesn't come into it mm. because we're serving a different function um and but you can still add some of your creativity or you can oh yeah like, absolutely and i think say, that's oh, when exactly. i start doing this i felt this and that's why i added it because it's it's a it's a process it's like writing right so yeah. somebody can give you a scope but while you do it you can you can figure out magical thing but can anybody learn to write like become a music writer um it's a it's um that's a complicated question. Um, I mean, you read my article um, and in order to write that article, I interviewed every composer that I knew well and I asked them that question. Can composing be taught? And I think the answer is it can be faked well enough for people to do actually pretty well. But we, and I'm saying as maybe the community of professional composers, don't believe, just to put it off myself, don't believe that it can be learned. Uh, we think it's an innate skill. It's not special. Other people have other innate skills. 
you know, when you marvel at sports personalities and athletes and what they can do, those are innate skills that, you know, you just can't learn. Interesting and, that and you so, say that I can learn the piano, but I can't write the <laughs> taught how to write music. And I feel like I can't do either of them because it's such a specific, uh, I do believe well, it's the soul somehow, even if well, we can do it somehow, but not professionally and well, yes. like some people. Right. And I think, you know, it's also, I guess it's a spectrum as well. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm not at the extreme of the spectrum, you know, like the John Williamses and stuff like and the Mozarts and, and people who really, frankly, only pop up once a generation mm -hmm. or once a century. So that that is something that, that is extremely unique. Um, but I think there are some core things that make a make for a good film and television composer. Mm. You need to have a good capacity for empathy because we need to be able to read people and read characters and read between the lines. So we need to be psychologists because not only do we want to feel what they're feeling, we want to be able to understand and deconstruct what that is because sometimes it's very nuanced and complex. Mm -hmm. You need a high degree of vulnerability and sensitivity which makes actually life as a composer very, very difficult because on the one hand, you're writing music that's going to get thrown back at you. And on the other hand, you are by nature extremely vulnerable. And you're, walking, you're walking like with your emotions. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you wear them on your sleeve. Yeah, I say uh, the same when I work with, uh, you know, consumer insights and, and, and with research. I have to do that to be able to understand things around me. And it, you it's have hard to. when people it's say hard. you're too it's emotional uh, and you sometimes don't want to feel things or see things, but is it part of your skill, right? It is, absolutely. Um, you know, I often say I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, <laughs> but I wouldn't have it any other way for myself. Oh, we are so the same. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, I wouldn't want to lose my sensitivity and vulnerability, even if life impinges on me impacts me in a very you know uh intense way in every waking minute you know and i'm an insomniac as well ideas and things and you know so i'm always in a precarious area but again it's it's uh i i think that's the creative that's part of the creative life that you choose and and Taking criticism is something that you can learn over time to deal with and get better at. And what I have learned over time is, you know, very often you write a piece of music and the director will say, well, could you do this differently? And can you change this? And can you change that? And one's initial reaction is a kind of like you, you, you put up boundaries and you put up armor and you're like, no, it's fine just the way it is. And then you go away and you start plugging in their their suggestions and even if it's just by virtue of the fact that you spent more time on the piece nine times out of ten it becomes better it becomes better because it becomes greater than the sum of the parts it's not then just what you've done it's what you and the director have done together and this continues in the process of the music writing and it continues then when you bring in the orchestrator who then takes it to another level and says 
Wouldn't it be better if we put that in the cello rather than the viola? It'll just sound better and more space. And then you give it to a live orchestra composed of people who have devoted individually their entire lives to perfecting that particular instrument. You give the music to them and then another 65 or so people take what was a seed that you started and turn it into something that is greater even more than the sum of those 65, 70, 80 parts. And then you don't own it anymore. You know, it's not you, it's theirs, it's everybody's, it's out there. And, and that is a very fulfilling experience. And then once you've had that experience, it's easier then to accept criticism and say, okay, you know what? I've had enough goes where nine out of 10 times it did improve. That one out of 10 time, and this is always hard as a composer, where you really, really feel it's worth picking your battle on this one and you have to do it and you have to articulate it and stuff like that, then you should. You know, if, if believe in yourself and, and say, no, I know this is right. I know this is right. And do your best to convince the director. But never be obstructive. Again, it's not about you. It's about them and about their movie. And you keep that in mind. And then, and, and, you know, you'll wrestle with your own vulnerabilities in your own private time. Punch some, punch some pillows and throw things around the room if you like. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.